What did you wish you would have known about becoming a CEO 10 years ago that you didn't know at the time? That excellence at work alone is not enough. That just working hard is actually not enough. Because as a CEO, you need to have the ability to zoom in, to deal with a particular issue or problem, and also be able to zoom out and maintain a view of the bigger picture. Because sometimes, you know, if an organization is in crisis, that can often consume the entire focus for the executive team in order to resolve that problem. And as a CEO, it's your job to be able to step back and actually keep in perspective the overall needs of the organization. And that ability to zoom in and zoom out, or in other words, go from 10,000 foot level to ground level detail and back up again, that comes with experience. And that is a skill that definitely takes practice and effort. And I think 10 years ago, I didn't appreciate how vital that skill is to being an effective organizational leader. Welcome to the Big Careers Small Children podcast. My name is Verena Hefti. I believe that no one should have to choose between becoming a CEO and enjoying their young children. For far too long, brilliant people have found themselves stuck on the career ladder when they have children. This leads to greater gender inequality and the same stale, mostly male, white middle-class people leading our organizations. We need to change this. And in fact, my hope is that many of you listening right now to this podcast will progress to the most senior leadership roles possible where you make the decisions that make our world a better place. Beyond the podcast, I am the CEO and founder of the social enterprise Leaders Plus. If you want support from amazing like-minded peers, join our events or find out about our world-class career development programs for parents, then sign up to our monthly newsletter on leadersplus.org.uk forward slash newsletter. We will open applications soon for our cross-sector fellowship program again. And until then, keep an eye on our newsletter for our free events where our fellows share their learning. Today's podcast guest is Divya O'Connor. She is a serial charity CEO and CEO of the Girls Network. We talk about what it takes to become a CEO with little ones in tow, how to move from the corporate sector to the charity sector and whether or not to do it, and what to do to get an excellent mentor when you need it most. Enjoy the conversation. So very warm welcome, Divya, to the podcast. Let's start with you introducing yourself, who you are and who's in your family. Hi, Verena. Delighted to be here on your show as the guest. I am Divya O'Connor. I am a charity chief executive, currently so the interim CEO of a charity called The Girls Network, and I'll come on to talk about them in a little while. In terms of my family, my immediate family is my husband, Tom, and we have two children, Ethan, our son, who is seven, and our daughter, Aria, who is three. Mm, lovely. And I ask every guest this, what do you used to think was true about combining a big career with young children that you have learned is actually rubbish? <laughs> yes. We often hear about work-life balance or work-life harmony. And I think sometimes the inference is that is the holy grail that we all should be striving to achieve. And in my experience, work-life balance is a myth. The reality is that sometimes the pressures of work, of deadlines, you know, having to deal with crises, responding to multiple stakeholders means that 
your attention and focus is sometimes really commanded by the pressures of work and needing to respond. And what that can mean is that you sometimes have an imbalance in terms of your availability and focus for family, and also sometimes in terms of looking after your own well-being and mental health. And there are other times when children need us more and due to illness or things at school. And ultimately, I think we have to accept that as we move between personal and professional commitments, that there will be a natural ebb and flow in terms of peaks and troughs. And you know what? That's okay. Mm, I really love that because I think so often we judge ourselves and we say, well, actually, we are doing it wrong and we're failing and everyone else around us has work-life balance and we don't. And I love that you're just honestly saying, well, I don't have it. And in a way, that's okay. <laughs> I think it's not possible to expect to have that balance all of the time. And I think that's the point, that there will be peaks and troughs. Mm, definitely. We talked in previous conversations about making life choices. And I wanted to ask you, what, what are the biggest decisions that you've made in your career in the last few years and how did you arrive at that decision? Yes so for me the biggest decision in terms of really balancing personal and professional commitments was when I was the chief executive of the charity Children with Cancer UK I was also pregnant at the time in the CEO role with my daughter and I took the very difficult decision to actually step down as the chief executive just before giving birth and there were both personal and professional reasons for that. I think professionally, I had led the organization through a really major strategic transformation, transforming the brand, culture, the operations, and had really delivered a significant piece of work in terms of setting the charity on a high growth trajectory. At the same time, because I was pregnant and being in the age bracket of being labeled the wonderful term of being a geriatric mother, which essentially means that, you know, you're basically pregnant over the age of 36. And so it was a quite a difficult pregnancy as well, given that age factor. And I took the decision for personal reasons to step down and focus on family. And as it turned out, a few months after Ari was born, the whole world turned upside down and the COVID pandemic hit. And with hindsight, I was actually really grateful that I had the opportunity to be at home and be focused on family and the children. My son had just started school and he was in his first year, reception year, and being there for him in terms of homeschooling and enabling him to adjust and having that time off was actually a real blessing at that time. Mm. You strike me as someone who's very, who career matters to and, and it, it matters to you to make a difference. And you, I mean, you've had quite a few CEO roles, which makes me think you probably enjoy being a CEO. Was it tough to decide to actually just go away from this stereotypical go-getter who's always in CEO roles and just resign, partly as a result of being pregnant? Was that difficult to make? Yes, it was definitely a difficult decision, partly because, as you said, rightly, I'm very mission driven as a leader and I really poured my heart and soul into the organization. And I was genuinely inspired and driven by the mission of saving children's lives, children who are impacted by cancer. So yes, absolutely. I'm certainly very ambitious. I'm actually in my fourth chief executive role at, at the moment with the Girls Network. And I think at the time, Marina, I had to really, really just tune in and listen to my instinct and think about what was best for me at that particular point of time and for my young family. As I said, there was always the opportunity to come back. And actually, I don't feel 
that we as women and as mothers should necessarily be pressured not to take that time out at that point of time in your life when actually your priorities shift and being a mother and certainly with newborn babies, the focus does need to be on nurturing uh, that new life that that brings you so much delight and brings you joy in a different part of your consciousness. Mm, I love that. It's almost spiritual, if, if you don't mind me saying, because in a way, it's, it's that freedom of you're just doing what is right for you rather than fitting in with whatever stereotypical expectations. And you clearly did not choose between an ambitious career. You are a CEO again. I think you've had several CEO roles. Yeah, <laughs> you're nothing. Yes, I'm in my fourth charity chief executive role. <laughs> well, there you go. I think that is so powerful that you still did that. And actually, it wasn't, you know, it was totally fine for you to make that decision. I think that's a very freeing thing thing to hear so thank you for sharing that story so openly I would also say Marina it would absolutely not be possible with the support of my husband I know different people have different uh, family situations and circumstances and absolutely he has been a solid support in terms of wanting the best for us as a family and supporting me in my career as well and as a senior leader, you do need to have those support structures in place, you know, whether it's your partner or nanny or extended family, in order to cope with the demands of senior leadership, it is absolutely vital that you have those relationships in place to enable you in all parts of your life. Mm, definitely. And you've recently shared on social media, a beautiful picture. I don't know if it was from your first pregnancy with you heavily pregnant and I think the hashtag was something along the line of this is what a CEO looks like what made you get involved in that campaign yes so that was a photograph from my second pregnancy so when I was in the CEO chair and pregnant with my daughter I am an incredibly values driven leader and one thing that's really important to me is role modeling and representation and I think you know Verena that there are certainly not enough role models in terms of female leaders and the whole concept of you cannot be what you cannot see and certainly being a female CEO of an ethnic minority community as well for me it's really important to take those opportunities to step into the limelight and be vocal about my personal experiences and to be proud of that and I think that particular campaign was trying to really show that you know a CEO isn't just a, a white male with a fit body and actually CEOs could be all shapes and sizes and, and very specifically could also be mothers as well. Mm. I love that. Thank you so much. And we must make sure that we share the picture, if you don't mind. As a, no, go right in. ahead. Mm. It's on Twitter, so everybody see it. <laughs> exactly. And you're obviously a serial charity CEO, but I'm sure it is not easy. I used to be chair of governors at Citizen Advice in Lewisham. I know it's a really, really tough job. So I'm sure a lot of people would counsel you and or have counseled you saying, well, why don't you take the foot off the pedal? Why don't you rest, relax? Why don't you just stay off work? Can you share with us why you keep going and why you are going for the CEO type roles? That's such an interesting perspective. And yes, you're right. There certainly have been times in my life where people have said, well, why don't you put your career aside and focus on, on your family? I firmly believe, actually, there's no reason why you can't do both particularly in the charity sector, when you're involved in organizations and causes that really speak to your heart. And for me, I've always derived so much inspiration from the organization, the mission, the cause that I've been involved with, so whether it's saving children's lives who are impacted by cancer, 
or enabling primary education for children in really remote, marginalized parts of the world. It's always the mission that I focus on. And right now, to, to give you an example, I am the interim chief executive of the Girls Network. They are a youth mentoring charity. And as the name suggests, the flagship program is a one-to-one mentoring program for girls aged 14 to 19 from the least advantaged communities across the UK. And the real purpose of that program is to nurture ambition, reduce inequality, you know, inspire and build confidence. And I think that's so, so important when we're talking about the next generation of female leaders. And for me, doing that work is actually in service of say my children and my daughter and her generation. And actually, if you're able to create social impact that has ripples across the whole fabric of society, you're actually uplifting and empowering a whole generation of girls. And for me, that's incredibly important. And to be involved in that kind of work, I feel actually makes me a better mother. I love that. And I can see, obviously our listeners can't see you, but I can see the passion come through across across the screen. It's very lovely. I'm sure quite a lot of our listeners would love to get involved in that particular mission. How can they support the Girls Network if they choose to do so? Uh, yes, absolutely. So girlsnetwork.org.uk um, is the website. So please do have a look at it. We are most definitely looking for mentors. So the program connects up the girls in school with professional female role models as mentors. And it's a 12 month program with a monthly commitment of one to one mentoring. And Verena, you will know from your own mentoring program that you run at Leaders Plus that there is so much that you get back as a mentor in being able to to really sort of water and watch a, a young shoot kind of blossom and grow. And yes, so if somebody is interested in being a mentor and getting involved, please do get in touch with the Girls Network. Definitely. And we should probably say at this point, Divya, you interviewed Bijal and me for a podcast, for your own podcast, on mentoring. So if anyone is interested in how to become a mentor, what high quality mentoring looks like, then definitely you should listen to that. We should probably say, where can people find it? Yes. So my podcast is the Charity CEO podcast. Uh, You can check out the charityceo.com for the website where all the episodes are there. And the podcast is available on all of the usual podcast platforms. Great. So I'm interested, you, you know, obviously I have, I have an agenda here, which is I would love as many of the listeners as possible to continue to progress their careers. And I would love more females to become CEOs. So can you just share with us what you have learned about basically how, how did you end up in those roles? Did you, was it part of a major master plan? Were there particular things you did? Do you have no clue? Tell us. <laughs> What happened? Well, it definitely wasn't a master plan. I often say, Marina, that becoming a charity CEO was like a dream that I didn't even know that I had. I think for my first role, which was as the chief executive of Children with Cancer UK, uh, I joined to lead the philanthropy team and then was promoted very quickly to chief operating officer and then stepped into the CEO role. So part of that was being in the right place at the right time, but it was also grabbing the opportunity when it was presented to me. And I would always encourage people to lean into opportunities, to actively look to create opportunities. 
and uh, to just take advantage of that and to to not be afraid, even if you feel that oh you might not have all of the the skills that a particular job description uh, might lay out. You know, there is a lot that your own particular journey lived experience can offer, and I would always suggest leaning into that. Mm. Lots of things I want to unpick here. You've mentioned about creating opportunities. Can you give some examples, if you don't mind sharing, about how you have created opportunities for yourself? Yes, that's a very good question. I think the foundation for that is relationships. It is networks. And it this isn't networking just for the sake of having a huge Rolodex or contact list, but actually forming meaningful relationships, having meaningful conversations with people. And part of what I have done with the Charity CEO podcast is actually build those relationships across the sector with many charity leaders. And actually, the huge bonus for me personally is I absolutely love the conversations. And I think there's so much learning for me as a leader, just being able to ask questions and and pick the brain of all these amazing charity CEOs. And through those conversations, doors have been opened, which have perhaps led to where I am today. And that's what I mean in terms of really focusing on, you know, how can you add value to a conversation or to a relationship? And often just focusing on that. Mm. Yeah, it's so interesting. And I I fully, fully agree with you on the podcast. So I th- the reason why I started the podcast was quite random in that someone said it was a good idea. And I thought, oh, yeah, I'll give it a try. And then two and a half years later, we're here. But the reason why I keep going is, is partly because it makes a difference. We keep getting lots of messages about how people have been inspired to do things differently as a result of the podcast. Even people got promoted as a result of the things they've learned. But for me personally, it's just so much fun and building relationships is really powerful. But let's, like, yes. honest, this is not helpful really- to listeners. So, I mean, I might, <laughs> so, so for those well, of well, us. Well, I think it is, Verena, because I, I know Marie Kondo talks about what sparks joy. And you've got to find those aspects of work that do spark joy, because that's what's going to, to really drive you through the difficult times. Mm, definitely sorry I didn't mean to criticize your podcast example what I meant is it's I think (laughs) we're just I'm just interested in translating this into something that our listeners can do and I think now I'm thinking about it it's probably about having conversations about stuff that isn't related to your immediate day-to-day you could even start that with just asking people for a chat because you want to learn about the change program that they've implemented or the new finance system that they're pioneering or something like that? Yes. And I think if you come back to having a growth mindset or a learning mindset, I think you need to be very conscious of your own skills. What are your areas of strengths and which areas could you potentially look to develop and focusing on, okay, well, how can I develop those areas? You know, who might I be able to role model from? You know, where are those learning opportunities? And so being proactive with those and with that focus in terms of you have to be responsible for your own professional development. No one's going to do it for you. And that would be my recommendation in terms of a specific takeaway for the listeners. Mm, That's very helpful. And the other thing you were talking about was you hinted that you didn't quite fulfill all the points in the job description when you applied. Can you share what you've learned about that? Yes, I think 
with any role, there's going to be an element of stretch. And I think, Marina, we often hear that when a man applies for a job, if he can do 50% of it, he goes for it. Whereas women, you know, if there's like 5% that we don't know or haven't done before, we tend to be a bit apprehensive. And I think you have to approach the role. And, and I suppose if I think of it from a chief executive's perspective, when you are hiring, you should always be hiring for attitude and aptitude because you can learn skills on the job. You can train somebody in the specific technical aspects of a role, but they need to have the right attitude. And that then fits into a particular culture that you might be trying to build within your organization. And I think if you approach a role with that really positive attitude, with the attitude of, I really want to learn, I'm fired up by the opportunity here, and then I guarantee you will make strides in progressing that Mm. from a career perspective. Mm. Thank you for being so open. Quite a few people listening won't be necessarily from the charity sector, but I know that many of them will be interested in moving to the charity sector. Do you have any reflections or, I know it's very general and you always give specific advice rather than general, but I'll ask a question anyways, and then you can tell me if you don't want to answer it. Do you have any reflections on what works for people who want to move from the corporate sector across to the charity sector? Yes. So I have now been in the charity sector for over 12 years, but I started my career in the private sector in commercial business development and then in banking. So I think sometimes people when you're in the private sector, there may be a tendency to look at the charity sector with rose-tinted glasses and perhaps think, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. And my own experience is that actually I have worked much harder in my charity sector roles than I ever did in banking. I think part of that actually comes from the transition from organizations such as GE Capital or Lloyds Bank, where I was, to coming into the charity sector. And my first role was with a very small charity, the Princess Teaching Institute, as it was called at the time. I was the fourth member of staff, the sole fundraiser. And that transition can be a little bit of a shock where you're going from organizations where you have plenty of resources, access perhaps to sophisticated technology and systems to an organization where On my first day at the Princess Teaching Institute, I had to go down to PC World and buy my own laptop because the charity only had three computers at the time. And so there's a real need sometimes to roll up your sleeves and get involved at the ground level. And sometimes people, when you come from the private sector, that's always not always appreciated. Um, I think that would be my sort of number one reflection on that piece. But I will say I absolutely love it. I have no regrets moving into the charity sector. I certainly won't look back. And again, it comes down to what do you value as an individual? You know, what do you want to spend your life energy on? And if it is creating more social impact, if it is having an impact on people's lives, then absolutely, I would vote for the charity sector all of the time. And I think there are a lot of great transferable skills that people coming from the private sector absolutely can bring to the charity sector, whether that's in terms of commercial perspectives, leadership perspectives, or even from a fundraising perspective in terms of engagement with clients and liaising with people across different levels of the organization, all of that is key, as well as people's individual circumstances and their own lived experience as well is also really valuable. So I would absolutely encourage that skill set transference because the charity sector needs great people. 
I recently found out that according to Inside Radio, only one in five of the top charting podcasts are hosted by women. And that's despite 50% of listeners being female. I had no idea it was such an old boys club. So if you are finding that this podcast benefited you in some way, and if you're passionate about gender equality in all forms, then please take a moment to support a female hosted podcast by sharing this episode with a friend, for example, on Signal or WhatsApp, subscribing and giving it a five star rating. Thank you so much for your support. Back to our conversation. Absolutely. Your career, obviously from the outside, looks extremely illustrious. I'm sure it is very illustrious. I'm interested in if you're comfortable sharing. Did you ever get rejected from CEO applications? And when someone is applying for senior level roles that they do fulfill, let's say, 60% of the job description, how many rejections should you expect as normal? I have certainly been rejected from my fair share of CEO applications. I can certainly tell you that, Marina. What I would recommend is being really targeted in your approach, having a very clear idea in terms of, you know, what causes matter to you? What is your own sort of journey and lived experience? And what skill sets do you have to offer that may be unique to you? Because A CEO hiring process is a process that is intensive. It does take a lot of effort, a lot of research, a lot of preparation. And so my recommendation would be, you know, be very targeted in the organizations that you are applying to if you do wish to to get into that role. And certainly do things like who's on the board of trustees, who's on the executive leadership team, see if you've got any connections there you know try and have some informal conversations in order to get more insight into you know what is it really like in that organization listen to the charity CEO podcast to get an idea of experiences of different charity sector leaders yeah and definitely do your research uh, because I think the more prepared you are the better outcome it will be and also you know do keep in mind that interviews are two-way conversations yes you are being assessed but you are also looking at the organization and thinking, okay, can I work with these people? Is this an organization where I can bring my best, where, you know, bringing my whole self to work, for example, will that be valued? Will that be nurtured? Is this somewhere where I feel I can thrive, particularly in a CEO role, because the role is very demanding. Um, It's also very rewarding. And and so you need to make sure it's the right fit for both sides. Mm, I couldn't agree more. And sometimes people assume that the work-life balance is automatically better in the charity sector. And I would say it really depends on the organization. So I highly recommend that anyone who's applying for any senior job, actually anywhere, should seek to have a conversation with the line manager or in the case of a CEO role in a charity with the chair of trustees to understand what their values are, how they're ticking and whether or not they're going to be focused on outcomes rather than checking what you're doing at four o'clock on a Friday afternoon. (laughs) Yes. And also use the recruiters. I mean, most Chief executive roles in the charity sector are hired through a search firm. Do take the opportunity to have conversations with the recruiters before you even put your application forward, because there's often insights that you can gain from that. Mm, interesting. We talked a lot about mentoring when you interviewed Bijal Nayan for your podcast, which sparked my own thinking about who made an impact on my career. And I wanted to ask, was there anyone who really made a big impact on your career? and family life, perhaps even. 
who was that and what did it do? Yes, there is one person above all who's had a massive impact on my career and on obviously my personal life as well. And, and that hands down is my husband, Tom. From the very beginning, in terms of supporting my journey, transitioning from the private sector into the charity sector and supporting that transition through conversations today as CEO, moving through different roles and enabling me to be the best in my role that I can be, and also taking on the burden of, of childcare, et cetera, as the demands of my role sometimes need. And he's able to sort of help me balance those responsibilities. And he is an entrepreneur. He runs his own business. He's always really interested in strategy and is always sending me different articles to read or or giving me ideas. So hands down, uh, I'm very, very fortunate and grateful to have him in my life. Oh, that sounds so romantic. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I now want to meet him. He sounds amazing. That is really lovely. So tell me, was was there... Anyone, so I'm, I'm getting at this because I'm trying to understand the high impact conversations. Was there anyone who said something to you that really shaped how you approached the combination of big careers and family, aside from your husband? I do have a professional mentor as well, and she is a charity sector leader, and I've been engaged with her for a couple of years. And one of the things she's always said to me is to be focused because sometimes when there are lots of things on your plate and oftentimes you get asked to do lots of different things that learning to say no is as valuable as saying yes and to be very intentional about what you say yes to and what you say no to because every time you say yes actually that means you're saying no to something else whether that's in your professional life or or your personal life and actually Being intentional and conscious about that balance is a piece of advice that I have found particularly helpful. And I think I have learned now to say no to more things uh, (laughs) in order to achieve more of that elusive work-life balance. (laughs) It's so interesting because a lot of people on the podcast talk about saying no, but you're one of the few who says about saying yes to the right things and that focus. That sounds great on paper. But for those of us who are not able, who find it difficult to have a very tight focus, how do you choose the things that you're really focusing on and how do you practically stick to that focus? That's a really interesting question. So if I come back to what you said earlier, it's that it's about saying yes to the right things. So how do you know what is the right thing? And then you have to bring the lens of, okay, if I say yes to this, what is it going to lead to? What is the outcome? Is it going to help me achieve my my goals, my vision, either from an organizational perspective or from your personal life perspective? And actually having clarity around some of those goals, uh, around what you want for your life is kind of the starting point. And I would always recommend that listeners take time out to think about that, to think about what they really want. And, And sometimes it comes in conversations. There have certainly been times where, I've said yes to something, not been sure about it. And actually, that's ended up opening a door or or leading to a really valuable relationship or conversation. So you do have to be open as well. But bear in mind how much you can take on at any one time, because if you get overwhelmed, then actually you will do nothing well. Hmm. I think that's such an interesting way of looking at it. What doors might open as a result of that? Yes. Or what's the outcome? I really, I really love that. And I I love that as well, because then you're not just focusing on getting stuff done and getting down your to-do list. 
Yes, and I'm still learning. I haven't cracked it by any means, but you know, being super organized, having some discipline around thinking about, you know, okay, what are my 30 day goals? What are my 90 day goals? You know, what do I want to achieve by the end of the year? And spending some time up front just thinking about that, you know, maybe maybe writing in a journal just for yourself. You don't have to share it with anybody, but that helps give you clarity of focus. Mm, That's excellent. So getting a mentor and getting that advice. So for people who don't have access to a mentoring program, obviously you run a mentoring program with the Girls Network as part of Leaders Plus. And there's also a mentoring program. And thank you so much for your support with that. But for people who don't have access to a formal mentor, what advice do you have about finding a mentor? I think the place to start is thinking about why you want a mentor. What specific area of of skills or expertise or knowledge are you looking to gain that you feel you're you're missing in some ways? And then once you have an idea of what that is, thinking about, okay, well, who in sort of the ecosystem or the particular sector that you work in, who's it that you really admire? Who's it that for you is an example of someone who is absolutely brilliant at whatever that is you're seeking to build as a skill. And it may not be that you can always reach that person, but having that idea of that role model, I think can help direct you towards the kind of skill set that you want to build. And then it is a case sometimes of talking to people within your networks, asking if they know anybody who would be willing to help, who has that particular expertise or knowledge. And I would also encourage listeners to seek out perhaps more formal mentoring programs because there are a lot of organizations, uh, particularly in the charity sector, that offer this. So your own fellowship program for women with with children at Leaders Plus Arena. There's the Akiva mentoring program for chief executives, as well as other perhaps more informal networks as well. So I would encourage people to, if you're serious about mentoring, and I would also recommend that you do approach it with a level of commitment so that you are valuing the mentor's time or a person's time when you ask to be mentored. I think that's important in terms of having that contract and that commitment. But if that is something that you want, then yes, go out and seek it because there are definitely people there. And I think you will be surprised when you ask people for their advice that how many people would be willing to spend a little bit of their time sharing their personal experiences and thoughts. Mm, definitely. And I found that just asking the question to have a one, one-off coffee chat to get an advice on a particular topic can be so powerful. And then if you get on with the person, you can ask them to if they would meet you three or four times over the course of the next six months to mentor you. And I've very often seen that that creates a very strong relationship and can really help you move forward. Yes, Verena, actually, you've hit on a really important point which is you need to build a relationship first. So don't just ask somebody cold that you're in a conference and you see somebody and you go to them, you don't even know them, you say, hello, would you be my mentor? Don't do it that way. Build a rapport, build a relationship, sort of feel them out, try and understand their availability and time. And yes, that's a a brilliant suggestion, Verena. You know, ask them if they might have a one-off coffee and see where the conversation goes. Mm, Absolutely. So... We always finish our conversation with three practical things someone could do this week. Now, I haven't given you the question in advance. So if nothing comes to mind, that is absolutely fine. If someone wants to start having a stronger focus in 
their working life, what would be one or two things that they could do this week to bring that stronger focus? Well, I'll tell you a practice that I try to do as a chief exec, which is always carving some time out every week in my diary to do some thinking time, some reflection time, focus time, as I call it. And that is so, so important to just have the headspace to think about one or two critical questions that might be professionally dealing with a particularly sticky problem or issue or it could be on the personal front um, as you alluded to in terms of okay what might some ideas be just take that first step because sometimes if a problem is too big you think oh my god how am I going to get there but just write down okay these are two or three steps two or three next actions that I can take for example this week and do set aside time in order to have that thinking and that opportunity to think Wonderful. I love that. Thank you so much, Divya. So if people want to find out more about you and your work, where would you like to direct them to? So I am on Twitter. You can follow me at Divya O'Connor, certainly on LinkedIn. The Charity CEO podcast is another platform, which is thecharityceo.com, as I mentioned earlier, uh, and indeed currently at the Girls Network as their interim CEO. So you can find me uh, on all of those platforms. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Divya. Thank you so much for listening today. If you liked today's conversation and got something out of it, you might also like episode 50, where I talked to a headhunter about to, how to get your next job with a headhunter. And we talk all about what really happens behind closed doors. You also could be interested in episode 52, where I talked to the CEO of Cancer Research UK about combining a CEO role with young kids. And if the podcast has been useful and you'd like it to bring it more into the real life connection, then I think you should definitely consider the Leaders Plus Fellowship Programme. You can find details about it online, leadersplus.org.uk, and probably the easiest way to be kept in a loop is to sign up to the newsletter, leadersplus.org.uk forward slash newsletter. Then you'll also get the updated information about the free events that we are due to run over the next few months. On the fellowship program, you get access to inspirational role models who have experience of bringing up kids with really big careers and with progressing those careers. You get some support with practical challenges, for example, workload management. And most importantly, we are giving you slash forcing you to have the time to think about what you want for your career, how to get there, and then making a plan supported by an amazing group of peers about how to actually get there. And we all know it's not straightforward and that's why we really look at the research on what causes career progression and how to use this. So the idea is to almost fast track the knowledge that you might get from an old boys club to use that so that you can progress your career even though you don't fit the stereotype of this elderly white male who usually sits in executive boardrooms. Nothing against the elderly white males, many of them are absolutely lovely but we just need a little bit more diversity I think. Yeah, so and your hardship fund space is available. We always do have at least 10% of our cohorts that are subsidized because they are, have financial challenges. And in our last cohort, more than half have got promoted or have got additional senior responsibility at the end of it as a result of the program, which is obviously something we're really happy with. Actually, one more thing I wanted to mention. 
like I said in the middle, if you think the world of podcasting shouldn't be so male-dominated and you want to support a female-led podcast, I Big Career Small Children, then it will really help if you share it with a friend, maybe via WhatsApp signal, uh, share it to two to three friends and maybe even leave us a five-star review. It just makes all those algorithms basically make the podcast more prominent, which then means you get more listeners and which also then means you have more chance of getting really amazing guests. So that's it from me. Thank you so much for listening and see you next week.